Welcome to Bread Wine Movies. I'm Josiah. And I'm Joshua. Bread Wine Movies is a podcast in which two guys who look like Muppets talk about how movies from Star Wars to Eraserhead to the films of Jean-Luc Godard can touch the human spirit and change lives. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joey. Hi, Joshua. Say, Joey, what day is it? It's May the 4th. It's Star Wars Day. And also with you. Ha! Yes. May the 4th be with you. Uh, But it being Star Wars Day, we are going to talk about Star Trek The Motion Picture. Wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is great. That'd be All of the fandoms are super angry right now. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to their computer, and it it reminds me of that Kermit meme. It's just typing angrily. No, we're not going to watch. I mean, we could, but we're not going to today. Today, we watched The Empire Strikes Back. And I can't promise that we stick to Empire Strikes Back. Uh, In fact, I can promise we won't. But you know what? That's okay. Um, So I'm going to say right at the head of this, spoilers for anything Star Wars. Yeah. Literally anything Star Wars. Because I've read, seen, experienced, I don't know what other ways there are. You can't inject Star Wars in your veins. But if there was a way, I probably would have by now. If you have not seen any Star Wars yet, and this is spoilery stuff for you, honestly, I'm disappointed in you as a human. Because come on, come on. You haven't seen any Star Wars, really? That's a problem. I'm, I'm a little more forgiving than Joey. I, I'm not an asshole. Um, I'm an angry, angry, angry Star Wars fan. <laughs> Joey's still bitter. See, Joey, Joey has this problem where he thinks that the prequels are garbage. And, and it's, it's, it's sad. It's really, what? it's really sad. It's, it's kind of like Marcion. You're like, ah, oh, the Old Testament, man. Who needs it? No, no. So the prequels are, the prequels story-wise, the stories are really important. And I actually have found myself valuing the stories more. And there's some moments in The Phantom Menace that I find are just absolutely amazing. The, the Duel of the Fates, the, the pod racing. <laughs> we can't put any Star Wars music in this podcast. It's very I sad. Know, it's very sad. But by and large, the writing, the, the excessive use of CGI and the acting is just horrendous by a cinema so cinematic quality goes way down for these movies um and by and and across the board i would say i'm not alone in that assessment uh i don't think you are either i uh i would agree definitely that the cgi was a bit much uh i think george lucas is trying to prove something and he proved it but he still does manage to build a world with it it's it's just the reliance on it i wonder I wonder if he had made this now when when you know we've got stuff like the Lion King that basically looks live action. I wonder if we'd forgive it a bit more. But then Avatar sucked. Hmm. Avatar was so bad. I really don't like that movie. You know, if that movie had been like an hour and a half shorter, it was like three hours long, right? Yep. I mean, it didn't need as much movie in it as it had. And I hear he's going to make like four more. Yeah, there's four sequels planned. Four. Five Avatar movies. You know, directed by James Cameron. I know they're not married anymore, but could Catherine Bigelow like just smack him upside the head or something? 
So there should be a law that every in, in Hollywood that every time James Cameron makes an Avatar movie, Catherine Bigelow makes an Academy Award winning movie the same year. And at the Oscars <laughs> just blows him the fuck out of the water. I'd actually, you know what? If if we got four more Hurt Locker level films from Catherine Bigelow in exchange for there being four more avatars in the world, I would take it. Oh, absolutely. The Hurt Locker was great. I loved Zero Dark Thirty. Both of those movies were just fantastic. Actually, I haven't seen Zero Dark Thirty. <gasps> wow. Yeah, if you liked The Hurt Locker, you would love Zero Dark Thirty. I heard a comparison between that and the new Jack Ryan TV show. Yeah, and uh, the show Homeland with Claire Danes. And Inigo Montoya. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great show. Homeland came after Zero Dark Thirty, though, and Zero Dark Thirty definitely influenced Homeland in a big, big way and influenced Jack Ryan. But it's the same uh, journalist screenwriter who did Hurt Locker and Catherine Bigelow doing Zero Dark Thirty. And it's pretty amazing. I will have to put it on my list of things to do when my children are old. Because, <coughs> you know, I have, the, I have the thing where not only do I have to wait for the children to be asleep, but I either need to stay up late after my spouse goes to sleep or find a movie that she'll want to watch. And I can tell you, she does not want to watch Zero Dark Thirty. It's got Andy Dwyer in it, though, right? Or well, he, I mean, he has a real name, but whatever. yeah, it's uh, Chris Pratt. Yeah. And, and Chris Pratt and Joel Edgerton have a very short but very crucial scene, um, a series of scenes toward the end of the film. And if you know what the film's about, you can probably guess why those are crucial. But I won't say anything. I assume that uh, uh, Andy Dwyer is Osama bin Laden. Uh, it's, it's, it's close. That's close. <laughs> <laughs> the other side. Spoiler alert. In the movie about killing Osama bin Laden, at the end, they kill Osama bin Laden. I haven't even seen the film. Yeah. So Chris Pratt plays Osama bin Laden if Osama bin Laden took his own life. <laughs> <laughs> so so there now you know why Chris Pratt plays a crucial character. Yes. Yes. Yep. Well, now now I don't even have to I don't even have to see the film now, do I? Oh, it's so good. You have to see it. It's so good. I love I love the intrigue stuff. Like it's 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 funny because I'm a pacifist. Like, Me too. <laughs> like I'm a I'm a let's sweep the ants out of the house onto the lawn kind of pacifist. Yeah. Um, there's a mouse in the garage. Let's give him peanut butter and a live trap and set him free somewhere kind of pacifist. But I freaking love like Tom Clancy novels. Oh, there's so much fun. Well, and like they're gung ho, holy crap. Let's all have guns and everything Republicans have ever done is the best thing ever. And trickle down economics is amazing and personal responsibility and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I fucking love them. They're just great. All the technical like stuff like that uh, born supremacy. Uh, well, all the born movies, really uh, Jack Ryan, Zero Dark Thirty, Syriana, all those like political, technical intrigues. I just eat them up. I watched all of 24. I don't think I could do that one again because of all the torture. 
but still, yeah. still, it was still fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed Homeland, um, Mind Hunter, uh, any oh, any kind Mind of, Hunter. Yeah, any kind of show that that features like FBI, CIA types trying to solve it. I'm like, yes. X Files. I love the X Files so very very much. X Files is great. You know what else is great? What? Eucharist, Joey. Eucharist. Absolutely. We can't talk about the greatest trilogy of all time until we've had our Eucharist. Absolutely. Anakin That's Skywalker like, died for your sins, Joey. It's like saying you can't have your dessert until you've had your broccoli. Also, what? Was My broccoli that? is dessert. I love broccoli. Oh God. Ugh. Broccoli gives me so much gas. Oh my God. Well, what's so? Oh, so bad. Oh no. Red wine gets me drunk. Yeah. What? That's the f-ing point. Oh. <laughs> Getting drunk feels different than having bloat and farting everywhere. Okay. Bloat. Bloat. I don't I don't get bloat. What I get is, hey, Kalila, come here. That's what I get. <laughs> And that's the most fun anybody can ever have. <laughs> I love that. That's great. All right. So um, I have my bag of gluten-free pretzels here. Twisty Jesus. Uh, we're going to bless the host here. So for those of you who are listening at home, um, if you have uh, elements that you can utilize, great. If not, great. Maybe you aren't a Christian and you're listening to this and you're like, why, why the hell are they even doing this? And we're doing this because for us, there is a direct tie to the spiritual practice of Eucharist to the spiritual practice of engaging with filmmaking. So in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this every time you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again in glory. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. The table belongs to God, and that means all are welcome, no exceptions. Joshua, the body of Christ broken for you. Joey, the body of Christ broken for you. Thanks be to God. And Joshua, the blood of Christ shed for you. And Joey, the blood of Christ shed for you. Damn, these are good pretzels. Don't even know. Are you saying this is the blood of Christ? The dude must have been wasted like 24-7. <laughs> Thank you, Peter Griffin. I would like to say, dear listener, um, if you are searching for someone to give money for in exchange for spiritual healing, you should uh, speak to Joey. And this is why. He can keep a straight face. What you don't know, because you're not on our Zoom meeting, is that the entire time Joy was blessing the elements, my baby Yoda doll was <laughs> poking at the, the webcam 
and Joey was working very, very hard not to crack. And I don't think the man did. And I'm very impressed, and you should hire him. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that endorsement. That is a glowing endorsement. <laughs> so Joshua and I record these episodes over Zoom because we can't be in the same room during the COVID-19 season. And you have no idea how many times one of us like brings something up to the camera while we're talking that is just designed to make the other person trip up and laugh. And, and generally during the most serious parts of the discussion, of course. And typically somebody on one end of the camera flashes the bird to the other. So. The bird. Have you the heard word. that in recent studies? <laughs> Many people were unaware that the bird <laughs> is the word. <laughs> oh, man, it's so good. I love that show. Seth MacFarlane is a genius. I will not hear otherwise. Yeah, okay. I shouldn't say lots of geniuses were buttholes, okay? Lots yeah. and lots and lots of geniuses. Bob Dylan, my personal favorite songwriter, is kind of a butthole. Very much so. Uh, uh, Ernest Hemingway, one of my favorite authors. Definitely a butthole. David um, Lynch. Oh, he's not a butthole at all. He's wonderful. He's a, cranky, he's a cranky butthole. He's cranky. He's like Mr. Fredrickson from Up. Uh, no, David Lynch is definitely not. David Lynch loves everybody. All that transcendental meditation. I know it's great. Yeah, good for him. I tried it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe if I do it like a dozen more times, he, he always, he says in his book that the first time he did it, it, it was like he transcended. And I was like, what? It is not typical that it happens that fast. Um, so I think <laughs> that's, Lynch, that's, that's what you always have to say. Yeah. Yeah. David Lynch is obviously the uh, second coming of Christ. I thought there was Mr. Rogers. Um. Oh, no. So Mr. Rogers was the second coming. David Lynch is the third. Okay. So Star Wars, everybody. Yes. Wars. Uh, specifically, The Empire Strikes Back. We'll start there. We'll start there. It's a good starting place. It is arguably the best Star Wars film. Um, there's, we just, and we just lost half our fan base right there. I'm not saying that you have to like it as the best one. It just happens to be my favorite one. Mine too. Yeah. It's a good one. And, and it is, the, it, it is the fan favorite. It is. And it, I don't know. You could even argue that it's of the Star Wars movie, maybe not even the best made of them, but it's my favorite one. Cause it's always been my favorite one. And it's just, Nothing is going to come along that's better than it, even if it's better than it. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just that's just how it is. I'm old, and yeah, damn it, it's the best one. It is, but I mean, damn if if Last Jedi didn't give it a run for its money. I know. And what makes me up? And and now now we've lost most of our fan base. Um, <laughs> I will say people have left. What I found so absurd is that. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, when it first came out in 1980, was strongly disliked by a majority of, of the original Star Wars film fans. And they were like, well, what have you done to this amazing thing that you just created? You, you've ruined it, George Lucas. You've ruined it, Irving Kirshner. You've ruined it. Well, now it's considered uh, by many 
by critics and audiences to be the greatest Star Wars film ever made. I rewatched it again today. It totally holds up. It's absolutely brilliant. Cinematically, mythologically, it's just perfection. What Ryan Johnson did with The Last Jedi was very much the same of what Irving Kirshner and George Lucas did with The Empire Strikes Back. And so for, for fans to shit all over The Last Jedi is essentially for them to shit all over The Empire Strikes Back because it is in keeping with a theme. So I, I just don't buy that whole, like, The Last Jedi is ruined Star Wars thing. If, you have, if you're going to say that, you are missing the point of Star Wars. And yes, I'm saying that to you angry fanboys out there. The ones who said, you stole my Luke Skywalker from me. You, what did you want him to be? Did you want Luke Skywalker to be the same doe-eyed farm boy from Tatooine when he was 16? Or did you want him to be an old man who had learned a few things about life and was now pissed and angry? People change for crying out loud. Joey, if you could share with us how you really feel. <laughs> I, just, I, uh, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, this idea that Luke wouldn't change or that, first of all, okay. I say this as a person who has devoted a whole lot of time and energy into Star Wars. I've read the novels, including the ones that aren't even canon anymore. I watched the movies. I've seen the, the damn Ewok cartoons and the yeah. cartoons. I've seen the holiday special without riff tracks. If it's Star Wars, I've, I've experienced it. And it, it's a f-ing movie. Like at the end of the day, everyone, it's a movie. And you can be, you can say like, oh man, that, that movie wasn't as good as I hoped, or even that movie was stupid. And then you can not harass people on the internet and (laughs) just get over it because it's a movie. Right. And again, I equate like the filmmaking process with the most, what I consider to be the most sacred tradition of my religious tradition. And I'm telling you, it's a movie and I love to talk about it. And, but if this is going to turn, if you're going to defend your position with the same like righteous fire that you defend the second amendment, I don't know why I just assume those are the same people uh, like you're doing it wrong. Cause it's a movie about space wizards at the end of the day. Okay. Yep. That's what it's about. Yep. So uh, what I what I just want to say about that is, as you listen to this podcast and we're talking about Star Wars, um, I don't want to get any emails with, in all caps. I'd love emails that are in you know properly formatted capitalization about things that you want to discuss. But if I get you know, Rose is the worst, which you're wrong. Um, or I get, you know, oh my God, Luke Skywalker is broken. I, I don't care. I don't care. And I will just immediately delete it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the fact that Kelly Marie Tran, the act, the lovely actress who played the amazing character of Rose Tycho, just an incredible addition to the Star Wars uh, mythology. The fact that she had to get rid of her social media because she was getting so much hate. The fact that Ahmed Best 
who played Jar Jar Binks got so much hate from people because of that character that he had, that he uh, suffered with suicidal ideation and intent for many years. Didn't uh, Jake Lloyd as well? Like it made him leave. Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, Look, look at the lives that are being ruined by hate. And these are people that love star Wars, which means they probably love the Jedi. And I was just remembering today as I was listening to uh, Darth Vader say stuff to Luke when they were like slapping laser swords together. He says, Luke, give in to your hatred. Only your hatred can kill me. Well, you fuckers, only hatred will scare Kelly Marie Tran away from social media and will send uh, Ahmed Best to have to go to a psychiatric unit in a hospital because he's suffering. This And this brings me to a lot of the things that Empire Strikes Back brings up. One of my favorite parts, and it doesn't get talked about very much, but one of my favorite parts is Luke asks Yoda, um, is the dark side stronger? And Yoda says, no, and I'm going to misquote this a little bit, but Yoda says, you know, no, it's, it's faster and easier. I love that. That's true. That's pacifism. That's what Christianity stands for. You know, Jesus doesn't say, all right, we're going to go out and uh, we're going to change all these people's minds today because tomorrow is too late. Jesus yeah. has a very long game. Like God has been at this for a minimum, at this planet at least, for a minimum of 4.5 billion years. He's got time. As a side note, have I ever told you my theory on how um, when God put in, like was setting up the universe? This is we're going to lose so many listeners from this, but it's okay. It's a working theory. It's just kind of an aside. I would probably never say it from a pulpit. Have you ever thought that maybe the reason that light speed is the fastest thing is that uh, God's plan to eventually take the chaos of the universe and correct it uh, is, is a slow process and he doesn't want us to be able to go faster than that. Whoa. <laughs> I have not thought about that, but I'm not shocked that you have. <laughs> and now I will be thinking about it. I think that's really that's really interesting, actually. I actually, uh, I thought of that the last time we watched 2001, which we haven't done an episode about yet, but we'll have to. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, oh. 2001 isn't on streaming right now, whereas all Star Wars movies now are available on streaming. On Disney Plus. Happy Star Wars Day. Woo! And the Mandalorian. Um, what, oh, oh, the Mandalorian is the way an achievement. Yes, absolutely. The way I have spoken. Um, <laughs> the Mandalorian is um, next to the Empire Strikes Back is my is my second. It's my second favorite Star Wars thing. Now, I thought that nothing could beat the empire strikes back or star wars a new hope or the original trilogy but next to the original trilogy the mandalorian is just so amazing it's 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 really really good thank you john favreau um it's worth having to have gone through the new live action slash animated uh lion king for you to have made the mandalorian Absolutely. He's one of those uh, he's one of those directors where it seems like what he does is he'll direct big budget stuff to make money and then he'll make like chef 
which is a great little film if you haven't seen it's great chef. i love chef um and then he'll make you know the lion king and then he'll be like i'm just gonna do the mandalorian which probably had a big budget but it was still a risk it was like are star wars fans gonna like this this is nothing like the rest of star wars in fact it kind of if anything on what you thought of the star wars universe it's the mandalorian like it's yep. no the, like yeah you know han was the the scoundrel yeah like he was never a scoundrel nope. I mean, he was but like in kind of like an ocean's 11 way like yeah. I, was, I was never worried that han would betray them and shoot them in the face he might leave and not come back but <laughs> not evil no you know and he never was there are genuine evil like the whole time especially if you watch star wars movies in order now like of episode order you see anakin skywalker become darth vader and so you know there's still some good in him and then luke yeah. calls him out on it there are people in the mandalorian that that does not necessarily appear true about um john favreau is due a lot of praise i mean the guy also directed elf he directed iron man and then I just I've been really into Seth MacFarlane's series The Orville and it's just it's just so good. And I didn't realize he uh Yeah, John Favreau directed the first episode of The Orville and is involved and was involved in a lot of the production of the first season. Okay. So, Joey, this is why you're not in sales. You've been trying to get me to watch this show for like however long it's been on and you never once mentioned that John Favreau directed the pilot episode well, I would have watched it already. Well, well, but bury the I, lead, I, dude. I said Seth MacFarlane, an homage to Star Trek, and that wasn't enough. Well, they cancel each other out. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I'm just, I've got all the bad opinions over here. Can I, can I tell you my other bad opinion? What's that? As long as if there's any listeners left, I'm going to get rid of them right now. Wow. <laughs> Listeners clicked on this podcast, maybe for the first time ever listening to our podcast, in which case, hello, we are two spiritual people who like to talk about film art, um, and uh, we have an obsession with Star Wars. So if you clicked on this thinking this is going to be a Star Wars podcast, you were one, correct, but two, you're about to cry because Han didn't shoot first. No, and he never did. It was never the intention for him to shoot first. And if you watch, and I have it, because they are still around, if you know where to look, in the original cut, there is a sound of Greedo firing first. Yes, yep. It's not shown on screen because he just he couldn't like work out the technology. But that was always his intent. It was the first thing he fixed when he did the special edition was he never wanted Han to be that person. He wanted him to be like a John Wayne character not a completely evil character. Yeah, Han did not shoot first. Absolutely. Agreed. Whoa. Yeah. So those of you still listening uh, are probably either related to us or don't know what we're talking about. Correct. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back picks up where Star Wars left off. Star Wars was not... Star Wars was just Star Wars. And it was this amazing cinematic achievement. It was a huge gamble. George Lucas was a kind of a small-time indie filmmaker. He had made THX 1138. He had made American Graffiti. He wasn't really doing much, but he had this vision. He wanted to make Flash Gordon meets Cowboys and Samurais in space. And he made Star Wars. 
the original film. It was intended to be a cinematic achievement. That's what it was intended to be. What grew out of that initial film, now, as we know, is this enormous franchise with movies, television shows, Lego sets, comic books, novels, video games. Uh, it's, it's huge. You can say, look at the size of that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. Um, <laughs> tip top writing. Tip top. Right there. Oh, yeah. The Empire Strikes Back picks up where the original Star Wars film left off. And it's, they, they change hands with the director. So now we have Irving Kirshner directing. May he rest in peace. Irving Kirshner played one of the disciples in The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, very funny. Uh, he actually is kind of a, an entertaining guy. And this film was not just a expansion of the story in a way that made that actually made it a bigger universe. There was a lot of world building that happened in this movie. There was a mythology, an expanding of the mythos and the mythology. Um, but also cinematically, this movie is an incredible achievement. Irving Kirshner is a great director. And also John Williams really upped his soundtrack game. So oh man, John Williams. Like John Williams is all nine of the core movies. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Like so every good. single soundtrack. Even when even when in, in the early days, when I was not a fan of the prequels and I eventually saw the light. I would still listen to those soundtracks. I mean, Duel of the Fates might be the best thing that John Williams has ever made. Ever. Like, um, oh my gosh. If if you have access to, you know, Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, just or YouTube, just go listen to Duel of the Fates. We'll be waiting. Come back. We'll be waiting. I would argue that that's not only one of the best things that came out of the prequel trilogy, but it's one of the best things that came out of the Skywalker saga, period, is the Duel of the Fates. And it proves that scene, that lightsaber scene, was where my whole theory of what Star Wars says about Christianity came from. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Say more. Same. So it's your funeral. So Qui-Gon is the last of the great Jedi until Grumpy Luke Skywalker. And potentially Yoda at the end of his life. And this is why he was contemplative. Richard Rohr would approve. Basically, Qui-Gon is the Richard Rohr of Star Wars. When the whatever the hell those force fields were that would like hold him back from Maul, Obi-Wan would sit there pacing. And Qui-Gon, what did, what did Qui-Gon do? He sat and meditated. He sat and meditated. So he Buddhist. Was, so Buddhist. He was he was trying to listen to what the force would have him do. <clears throat> er, okay. I'm 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 trying to choose my words carefully because I'm gonna step on toes. Good. I think there's a part of me that wonders if he didn't throw the the battle with mall and this is why he's the one who figures out about force ghosts i genuinely so yoda comes to uh obi-wan at the end of uh, uh revenge of the sith and he says 
you know, speaking to an old friend I have been. And he's surprised about it, meaning that up until Qui-Gon, like appeared to him as a force ghost, no one had ever done it before. Oh, oh yeah. So perhaps when he was listening to that, when he was meditating and listening, the force told him, like to some extent, your death, one, is not going to be the end, but two, is ultimately going to be how we defeat evil. Not only with the original trilogy, where Luke could not have done what he did without Obi-Wan's post-death help. You know, use the Force, Luke. And and that's how he got a hold of Yoda. Like, if it wasn't for Ben being a Force ghost, we wouldn't have won. And then ultimately, way ultimately, in Rise of Skywalker, that's how evil is defeated. Because all of the Jedi show up and Ray becomes the embodiment of all the Jedi fighting the embodiment of all the Sith. That's so good. That's so good, Joshua. You really have thought about this. <laughs> way, way, way <laughs> too much. Everyone else on the council, council, the council, the, the Jedi council is like, we have to think about this, but you never see those <laughs> meditating. Nope. Like you think, you, <laughs> do you think Mace Windu ever meditated in his whole life? I mean, I think based on the fact that he was a wise Jedi, probably, but he probably hadn't attained the same level of enlightenment that Qui-Gon had. No, I would I would say so, mostly because he ends up leading troops into battle. Any Jedi whose name starts with General wasn't a good Jedi. Although Yoda becomes General Yoda, and he was an amazing Jedi. And then what did he do after that? He became a Force ghost? No. Oh, no. No, he went and he meditated. He, he left. He he became a monk. Yes, and he meditated. And then he, he trained Luke. Cloistered himself. Yeah. Yep, which is, I think, one of the really great things about the Jedi is that it shows, much like different monastic traditions, uh, like Christianity and Buddhism are both monastic traditions. So... You've got the Qui-Gons who go out there and do the work and meditate in the field. But you've also got the Yodas who, who understand the value of retreating into the woods, into the wilderness, like Thomas Merton or Thich Nhat Hanh, and meditate because we believe there's value in meditating and praying as well. And as Thomas Merton would say in New Seeds of Contemplation, when we retreat in solitude to pray and meditate we do not ever do it alone we may leave and be physically alone but we take the entirety of the world with us when we go into solitude to meditate if the rest of the jedi council council why can't i say council tonight if okay. the rest of the jedi council had been that in tune i think they would have sung a different story and i think when it especially when it comes to what I think it says about Christianity. I know it has a ton to say about Buddhism. Um, and Joey's going to be sharing that with you. I don't know a ton about Buddhism, but I know a ton about Christianity. And what I think the prequel trilogy teaches us about Christianity is when Christianity gets hung up on the material things like midichlorians. I'm not a midichlorian denier. What I'm saying is that Midichlorians, like testing somebody's blood to see how many midichlorians they have is, is matter, is 
what happens when your uh, contemplative uh, uh, spirit-led religion relies on material things like science. Now, do not misunderstand me. Science is amazing. Science is important. And the Bible has absolutely zero to say about it. And these Jedi got hung up on these material things. And then it became, oh no, the separatists, they're materially attacking us. We need to attack them back. We need to use our weapons for offense and not defense. Now, what is the what is Luke taught about the lightsaber? A lot of things. He's taught that <laughs> it's used in defense, never for yes. attack. A Jedi yep. uses his power for defense, never for defense, attack. Never for attack. Yep. And that's Yoda saying that, who spent the first 800 fucking years of his life attacking. Yep. With his Jedi weapon, with his Jedi power. And it took 30, well, whatever, 16, 16 years of sitting in a swamp by himself for him to realize that that was wrong. I did it and, wrong. Yep. And when Luke is sitting by himself and he says the Jedi need to die, that's what he means. We've all gone through deconstruction. Yes. There was a part of my life where I said the church needs to die. And I, that's why the rise of Skywalker doesn't bug me so much because it's Luke, Luke in last Jedi is like the Jedi need to die. And then he burns while well, Yoda helps him burn the tree down. Yeah. But then Ray still has the books and that's in Ryan Johnson's movie. Ray took the books out of the tree before Luke and Yoda burn it down. That's right. So Luke in rise of Skywalker has reconstructed his, you know, if we're using the analogy has reconstructed his faith and is saying the Jedi don't need to die, but they do need to change. Yeah, it's true. Uh, proving once again, I think that the story of Star Wars, the story of the heroes of Star Wars is the story of people learning from their failures. And that's why I love it when Yoda says, and Yoda was one of the biggest failures of all. Yoda says to Luke in my favorite scene in The Last Jedi at that scene where they burn the, tr the, the temple, the tree. He stands there and he says, uh, failure a great teacher is, a.k.a. failure is a great teacher. Um, <laughs> and uh, that is just such that that is star wars now um in keeping with the christian theme we just we're now in in may obviously it's may the fourth but um i was reflecting a lot today on how the original trilogy and really how each of the three trilogies in the nine film skywalker saga reflect the themes of holy week so uh star wars a new hope episode four is Maundy Thursday. It's here's where you hear what your mission is. And then you go practice it and do it for the first time. The Empire Strikes Back is Good Friday. Now, I'm reading from Roger Ebert. May he rest in peace. Um, his his Roger thought, would come back as a force ghost. Oh, I know. We need him. At the beginning of Roger Ebert's uh, 1997 review of the empire strikes back he says the empire strikes back is the best of three star wars films and the most thought-provoking after the space opera cheerfulness of the original film this one plunges into darkness and even despair and surrenders more completely to the underlying mystery of the story 
It is because of the emotions stirred in Empire that the entire series takes on a mythic quality that resonates back to the first and ahead to the third. This film is the heart. And Good Friday is really the heart of the Christian story. Yes, resurrection is important for Christians. I don't think it's nearly as important as most Christians think it is. Um, but uh, the cross is... This episode entitled, How Many Toes Can We Step On in exactly. One Hour? We're so good at that. Um, it's one of our gifts, really. Um, <laughs> the cross is really, uh, I mean, it is the, you know, uh, pun intended, it is the crux of the of the story. And that is the same here, is that the Empire Strikes Back, The Last Jedi, and even Attack of the clones these are the crux films they are the centerpiece cross films they are the suffering films of these of this saga now so much suffering because there's so much sand and i hate sand yeah it's It's so rough and and it gets everywhere everywhere you know that okay again (laughs) we tangent a lot here's the thing here's the thing george lucas is not very good at writing dialogue. No, he sucks at it. But he means so well. You I just want to squeeze him. Like that line, he's, he's, if you take it, if it was like delivered, it, like, and it's not Hayden Christensen's fault. Hayden Christensen is a very talented person. The way George directs is he gets these wooden performances out of everybody. That line is about how, of course, he hates sand. He's from Tatooine. Like he's thinking about his home and he's thinking about the terrible life he had as a slave. Of course he hates sand. And that's the meaning of the line. It's just so badly written and so badly performed that we make fun of it. But there's there like, oh, if George had just had like Kevin James Anderson or somebody uh, like just scan through the script real quick and write a few notes, these movies could have been people would have felt the same way about them that they feel about the original trilogy with a little tweaking. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is uh, George Lucas is sitting on story gold. The guy is a genius world builder. He's great at creating characters. I mean, Joseph Campbell uh, was his big inspiration for developing mythology. It's, I mean, he really does great work there. The problem is he doesn't know how to direct actors and he sure as hell doesn't know how to write dialogue for them. Um, I've got a bad feeling about this. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A very bad feeling. So, I mean, attack of the clones in my opinion is the worst American film ever made. And the reason I feel that way is because (laughs) the reason I feel that way is, is twofold. One, there's something wrong with your brain. And what's the second one? No, 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 no. No, really. And and it is hated by most people who love no, Star Wars. I know I'm in the minority here. It's just nice. We've had a bunch of these episodes and we basically sit around agreeing with each other. So it's just nice that we have some contention. Yeah. So Attack of the Clones, the reason I think it's the worst American film ever made is one, it's, it's a part of it's a part of one of the greatest American sagas of film ever made. And so first it owes it owes itself it owes it to the saga and to its fans to it be insists good. Insists upon itself. 
Yeah, yes. Thank you, Peter. It, it's 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 it, it owes it to us and it owes it to the to the larger mythos to actually be a quality film. And it is horrendously bad. It is the story is fascinating and good. The story is fine. It is the characters. It's the character development. It's the 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 acting, the dialogue, the the obsession with CGI that makes it look like a fucking video game and a poorly designed video game. It is a ripoff of Blade Runner. It's just horrible. And one of the worst sins that that movie commits is George Lucas completely loses his vision in this film. It's like he just had this moment of like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And it's the diner scene. Where there is a fifties diner, the random fifties diner in Star Wars. Yeah, there is a nineteen fifties diner in a fantasy world. That's like that's like putting uh, Queen Elizabeth in the Return of the King. Like it just you don't do that. And so then now there's robots dressed up as nineteen fifties type waitresses. You've got a a, a fry cook um, who's a friend of Obi Wan's. He uses the phrase pocketbook. I mean, come on. Like, I literally, every time I watch the movie, forget that that scene exists. (laughs) Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh yeah, that scene is in there. What is it? It's just, ugh. It is an ugly movie. And like, I, uh, I, so not only is it a terrible movie, but like, it's a terrible Star Wars movie. And that makes it to me a great sin. It's like you you took this thing, and the Phantom Menace has some really weak moments, but it has some really strong moments and some excellent storytelling and a great performance by Liam Neeson. But after that, and, and Revenge of the Sith isn't horrible; it's it's passable. Re- Revenge of the Sith is the best of the of that of those three but again like the sins where where the sins in episode two like you point out like the 50s diner are definitely there the sins of of um revenge of the sith are mostly the dialogue like if 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 that dialogue got replaced and the way things got delivered like (laughs) the line not the younglings you know, like when Anakin takes out all the kids, like yeah. it's delivered in a way that is hilarious, but it shouldn't be hilarious. No, it just killed a bunch of children. You know, yep. what? and honestly, do you know what kind of helps a little bit? Again, I'm tangenting because it's Star Wars, and it's just my head is full of Star Wars. We're gonna do that today. That's fine. Yeah. Do you know what really helps appreciate the the prequels more? What's that? The Clone Wars. The animated show. The series? Yeah. Because then the movies almost feel like extended episodes. And it kind of makes them like a little more tolerable. Because some of the episodes of Clone Wars are awful. But some of them are freaking amazing. The the series finale happened today. And <laughs> holy I, I heard but wow I heard I heard that so here's the here's one of the things that I 
have yet to do is I, I was so heartbroken by the prequels when I was in high school that I like rejected them outright. And, uh, and then I saw that George Lucas had collaborated with David Filoni on the Clone Wars animated movie. And I was like, and it got, it got panned. And um, I had some friends. Yeah, I had some friends watch it who were like, this is horrible. And I was like, the animation style is horrible. And then they made a series. And so I was like, oh, I was like, they made a series? That's gross. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. It's more prequel type stuff with horrible animation. Well, and I'm also an animation junkie, so I'm super critical of that. Well, then a bunch of my friends were like, who I, who I trust were like, this series is actually, it doesn't start out this way, but it becomes excellent and a really crucial part of the larger mythology. And I, so I have to admit, like I'm behind on Clone Wars. I'm behind on Rebels. Um, I, I've read a book about Ahsoka. Um, I love her character, um, but I haven't, I haven't uh, seen it, the series. It gets so much into the, the literal mythology of the force both those shows do the the clone wars and rebels really get into like the spiritual aspects and some of the more interesting things like there is a episode let's see i don't want to spoil this too much but there's an episode where through some things that happen they end up in this place quite are quite um obi-wan and Anakin end up in this place and they meet these three entities. Um, one is a father and one, and then the other two are siblings, one evil and one good. And the siblings are always fighting. And there's more to that. And it's what you'd think. And it's so good. That's awesome. So, um yeah, you, you know, that's on Disney Plus. So I got to check and, it out. Yeah. And uh, don't take this the wrong way, but uh, your ass is furloughed. So I know. I was just going to say that. I was like, I, I could totally. Yeah, I don't take it the wrong way at all. Yeah, I've been trying to find things to really invest in uh, uh, media wise because um, of being on furlough. And um, yeah, I think I'll make that one of them. Now, my friend Steven, who is probably the biggest Star Wars fan I've ever met. And that's saying something because I've met you <laughs> and me and my friend Colin from childhood. And I've just been surrounded by huge Star Wars fans. And I have been Star Wars is next to the Bible. One of the most important uh, stories to me. So Steven's a, a, a big Star Wars fan. And he said that I should start with season three of the Clone Wars because I tried watching season one and I was just so just ugh. I was like, this is terrible. And I was like, why? Why? And Steven was like, start with season three. That's where it starts to get good. You don't really need to watch season one and season two. Would you agree with that? I'm a completist. I, I can't not at least one time, maybe on a rewatch. But the thing is, Ashoka starts off as like Luke Skywalker, Tashi Station level annoying. And becomes and it, like if you start where she starts to become herself, it's cheating. Right. <laughs> we all yep. have to go through this. 
and so you know the first couple of seasons has they have a few good episodes um and really just you know do something at the same time write uh some write work on your novel work on your robot novel all right i will there you go see i want to read that freaking thing already i read an article that came out right after rogue one was released rogue one is amazing i love rogue one i love everything about that movie i can't wait for the cassian andor series chirut imway that character is uh brings back the the deep mysterious spirituality at the core of the force and uh and and embodies it and then i think that film and the last jedi i would credit those two films with expanding the spirituality of of the force but also getting back to what the force actually is about um this article argues that midi chlorians were a, a huge mistake on george lucas's part narratively and that they distract from the spirituality but i love the way that you paint this picture joshua of it being like we focused on the wrong things um at least so it's not that midi chlorians are bad it's that we focused way too much attention on them we're we're Uh, looking at the you know the pilot fish when the shark is over there right and we Uh, should be just embracing the mystery and stop trying to define it. And that's what Luke effectively does with Ray in The Last Jedi. He says, stop trying to believe, you know, he does that, that thing with the feather. And he basically says like, stop, stop <laughs> believing so that amazing. the force only belongs to the Jedi. He's like, no, no, that's arrogance. He said, the force is for everyone. And no anyone, exception. yeah, and yes, right. And anyone can, can touch it. And that's what I think I love. I think that that's the greatest gift that Ryan Johnson gives us in The Last Jedi. He opens up the force in such a way that it goes from being something that's strapped to the Skywalkers, to one family, to one group of people, to being a spirituality that is for everyone, an all-inclusive spirituality, a reality in which everyone gets to show up. Um, Does that make Ryan Johnson the Martin Luther of Star Wars? (laughs) No, because I don't think Ryan John- I don't think Ryan Johnson is a grumpy anti-Semite. Um, oh yeah, that's right. No, he, that's Mel, he's that's probably not. Um, that's Mel Gibson. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, to defend these views, Ryan, if you want to come on the show, uh, that'd be okay. Yeah, Ryan, we love you. Come on the show. We're yeah, that'd be fun. Um, Zoom with us, Ryan Johnson. Um, what we have. I think is so Buddhism in space, essentially. I remember hearing Joey, if you're going to say that you need to say it properly. Try that again. Buddhism in space. Yeah. Try that again. Buddhism. You were just talking about Frank Oz and the Muppets. And I think you can do better. Ah, Buddhism in space. Yeah. Thank you very much. (laughs) Very good. The whole idea is, so first of all, George Lucas uh, describes himself as a Methodist Buddhist. So he was raised United Methodist, so raised in a Christian tradition. 
and a pretty cool historical Christian tradition at, at that. Um, and then started studying with Joseph Campbell and then started studying with Tibetan Buddhists. And Buddhism is actually part of the very little known John Wesleyan pentagram. <laughs> you mean the quadrilateral? Um, so that was a joke. I'm very yeah, funny. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, so uh, Tibetan Buddhism shows up in this story in that, first of all, we have three trilogies which represent the life, death, and rebirth cycle um, in life. So that's huge in Tibetan Buddhism. So if the first trilogy is the, is the life, the second trilogy is, the, is death. And if you think of the second trilogy as death, it actually makes a lot of sense because there's a lot that dies and goes wrong in the original trilogy. As heroic and lovely and wonderful and nostalgic as it is, if you put it in the context of the greater story, there's a lot that dies in the second trilogy. And in the like, last trilogy... Like how the Ewoks eat stormtroopers? Yep, right. Oh, gross. And in the J.J. Abrams-Ryan Johnson trilogy, the newest sequel trilogy, we have this rebirth story, right? Ray is the granddaughter of a failed Palpatine clone. Again, which you have to read the books to know. The screenwriters of Rise of Skywalker, J.J. Abrams, Chris Terrio, you guys should have known better. I mean, really. Like, really. It's, it, it's all implied. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't heard their defense. You know, maybe we'll get a director's cut or something. I don't know. But, I mean, I get, I get, when I was watching the film, that's what I assumed was the deal. But the only reason I assumed that that was the deal was that in the original uh, Star Wars novels canon Palpatine had cloned himself like a bunch of times yes right and also the force is just another way of saying the Dharma in Buddhism which is the way or the 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 truth this is the way yeah exactly um, this is the way is also a very sort of Buddhist kind of uh, uh, spirituality coming out this is the way I have spoken. And uh, Yoda, Nick Nolte. I love Nick Nolte. I love him. I I will follow him to the ends of the earth. I will Um, follow him. That song, little did you know, was about Nick Nolte. Um, (laughs) uh, Yoda is actually based on George Lucas's Tibetan Buddhist teacher, um, who I met. Uh, he lived. I hate you. Yes. Uh, no. No, you don't. Uh, hatred. Hatred is from the dark side, Joshua. I am going to use all of my anger to strike you down, and then I will become more powerful than you could ever imagine. Which turns out was one hundred percent true. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. Um. So I met this this uh, monk. He was living in upstate New York um, for the, uh, toward the end of his life, he was living in a, at a retreat center on an organic farm that I was working on. And I had an opportunity to meet him briefly, but he was a lovely guy, very, very old. And you can totally see why George Lucas would have created this Yoda character and based him on this guy. It just made so much sense. Um, 
So when Yoda is just the, the most Buddhist moments in this movie happen in the Empire Strikes Back and in The Last Jedi. Yes, there's tons of Christian and uh, Jewish and, and even Muslim themes in these films um, and, and Hindu themes, too. Uh, but the but largely uh, the core, at least the force stuff is all Buddhist. So. When Yoda describes what the Force is to Luke in in the Dagobah system, in The Empire Strikes Back, he is describing our relationship with the Dharma. And it's kind of, you've talked before, Joshua, about panpsychism. I have. I don't know if that was on this podcast or the other one, but whatever. It was on the other one, yeah. Everything's um, running together. But yes, panpsychism. Go yeah. on. This, th that's that's panpsychism as well. Um, that's the force. And, and then when Luke describes the force to Ray for the first time on his, uh, at his hermitage, he's also describing our experience of the truth and our experience of, you know, like you said before panpsychism. Um, I've heard Christians before talk about the Holy spirit being a part of this whole force thing. Great. Great. I guess that works too, but I don't think that was Lucas's intention, but I can't know that for sure. Um, well, there's the author's intention and then there's what somebody sees and they don't have to be the same thing. Exactly. Right. So it's, but there's just a lot of inherent beauty to this idea that, it's in and around everything and we can get in touch with it. We just have to be willing to accept it and sit with it, not fight it. It's not until Luke starts to actually accept things as they are that he stops suffering. The empire strikes back. He suffers because Darth Vader says, Hey, I'm your dad. And he's like, no, that's impossible. And then he's like, Obi-Wan, why didn't you tell me? It's not you know? true. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, it's so much suffering. And it's not until the Return of the Jedi that we finally see Luke start to shed some of this. Return of the Jedi is interesting because at the beginning of the movie, Luke is almost turning dark. Um, it's very similar, actually, weirdly, because they were made, you know, obviously not in sequence. Uh, but he's he's dressed a lot like Anakin is dressed towards the end. And he shows up and he's like kicking ass at Jabba's palace, which is why I think Jabba's palace is actually, I, there's a lot of people who try to tell me like if Jabba's palace wasn't in the movie, nothing would change except that we're seeing Luke be an aggressive Jedi. And I have a theory and it's a little weird, but basically the reason the dark side is quicker and easier and appears more powerful is because all of that power is consolidated into one or two people. Uh, like the Sith were saying, or like it, uh, Obi, who said it? Was it Mace Windu, Yoda? Somebody at the end of episode one says there's always two. There's a master and an apprentice. And so the Sith have all of the, you know, if, if there's a big ball of energy that is Sith energy, it's consolidated into one or two people generally at a time, which is why they appear so damn powerful because one person can come in and just whoosh, like the emperor does, right? Just whips Yoda's ass. 
because he does have more power than Yoda. What he doesn't have is more power than all the Jedi working together, which is the point. Yeah, I love that. Now, what's happening in Return of the Jedi is now, back up, so Anakin comes along. And the Jedi have become lazy, uh, they've become bureaucrats and generals, and they're running part of the government, and it's all messy. And Qui-Gon, who could never get on the council because he's you know too busy being Thomas Merton, is like, hey, this guy might bring balance to the Force. And they're all like, well, we sense a lot of anger in him. And of course, he was a fucking slave. Of course he's angry. But in, instead of seeing what is obviously his power, they are scared of it because they know he's going to change things. The status quo is going to change. In, in a way, it's much the same way that the authorities rejected Jesus and sent him to die. Anakin Skywalker does effectively die. Now, obviously, Jesus doesn't turn evil. So, like, don't read too far into this analogy. But the authorities wanted Anakin to die. Now, part of wow. what's, to me, part of what's going on, especially after Qui-Gon dies, is Anakin is burdened with a lot of the force power because the other Jedis aren't properly tapping into it. They're, they're using it as a tool instead of uh, to gain wisdom. A lot of the same way that people use the Bible as a tool to cut people down instead of reading it as a wisdom book. Yeah. And so Anakin, burdened with this power, like goes nuts because nobody is there to help him wield it. Right. And he looks at the dark side and he says, what the hell am I doing? Like the Jedi sit on their butts. They, they say, oh, you know, we're about peace. But then they start the Clone War. And then he looks at, and Palpatine, he's like, you know what? He's he's being smart. He's consolidating power. You know, he could technically bring peace. Uh, but, it, you know, to get peace. And how many times have you heard Christians say this? You know, sometimes you you got to go in and, and, and take out the other bad guys. You know, just like they did in the Old Testament. Right. And that's why he turns bad. He turns bad because he thinks it's the right choice to save his wife and the galaxy. Yes. So he's now a Sith. So now he's got all this Sith power along with Palpatine. And Luke comes along. So here is Luke. And he gets introduced to this power. And especially, again, uh, uh, Obi-Wan dies. So now basically it's him and Yoda sitting around, like, trying to find a way to keep this power and, and stay pure. Obi-Wan dies. Uh, and so now Yoda's over there like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, we gotta do something because Luke is going to tap into this. And if Luke gets overwhelmed with this power, it's just going to be the same thing again. And that's why they don't want him to leave. They're like, look, yeah, your friends are, they could die. But if we lose you, it's, we're done. Like there's nothing we can do. And luckily Luke is able to overcome it. And the way he's able to overcome it is the good that Anakin still has in him, the good that Anakin can't kill his son. Because if you watch that Empire Strikes Back battle, Vader could have killed him at any minute. He was yeah. trying, he wanted to turn him, which to for me, I don't think he really wanted to turn Luke, or at least not deep down. He wanted to turn Luke so that they together could kill the Emperor. 
and take over the galaxy. Yep, the rule of two. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Uh, but he he wants to do that because he loves him in his weird way. This is him showing love. I'm loving you by not killing you. Would you like to rule the galaxy? The only way Luke overcomes is the burden of all the power that is like on his shoulders because he's the only Jedi is that he still senses good in his father and instead of attacking him, fine decides to try and persuade him to return until the end when he finally loses it. Darth Vader threatens Leia and Luke freaks out and almost kills Vader, but pulls back at the last minute when he sees, when he cuts off Vader's hand and he sees his own hand and realizes that if he kills Vader, he's just going to become Vader. And that's not a good thing. And that's what ultimately turns Vader and balance is restored. Yeah. So Qui-Gon was right. The balance thing makes sense. And the Jedis were terrified because they knew on some level, maybe not on purpose, but on some level, they knew that Anakin becoming a Jedi was going to change everything and they were not prepared to lose power. I love that. Man, Joshua, that is, you just blew my mind, bro. Like, you should seriously teach a class on Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah, well done, man. Well done. Um, by the way, if you are interested in taking online courses uh, around Star Wars and theology, Joshua is now offering those. Pay him handsomely. Take classes with him. I will take Venmo tips. And after my epic rants, I think I think we're going to have to call this Star Wars Part 1, because I think there's more here and that we'll be revisiting. But we're at an hour and a half, which is already a half an hour longer than our normal podcast. Yep. Uh, so I think, uh, I think we should bid adieu. This has been Bread Wine Movies. Our theme music is composed by real good people. Find them on Apple Music and Spotify by searching for their name without any vowels. That's R-L-G-D-P-P-L. See you next week.